By the time she was eight years old, when she died in 2004, these 20,000 lemonade stands had raised over a million dollars for cancer research. Now, 10 years later, this 501c3 company has raised over $80 million to fund over 450 cancer research projects. Now, her generosity isn't just seen because of the amount of money that we're talking about, but because this little girl went outside of her own pain and suffering and hardship to tangibly come up with a way to meet the needs of others. And this sacrificial, um, amazing, deep, sincere generosity touches us. It, it reaches into a core of our being and a place within us to move us like, like nothing else. When we experience or express or witness this, this kind of just sacrificial, sincere generosity, it seems to touch within us that, that part of us that's looking for what's life all about. It seems to reach down to that place of this, this is the reason for your being. This, this is the meaning of life. This kind of open generosity is what we were made for. You know, there's been several studies that have indicated the benefits of a generous life. I came across an article that uh, summarized several of these studies and, and showed us some of the benefits of a generous life. And let me just share with you what some of these studies revealed. That first of all, that generosity curbs stress. People that are more generous have less stress than people who are not as generous. It increases work happiness. This study showed that when people go to work, if, if they just focus uh, on their own jobs and what they have to do, it, it's not as beneficial. But when they go beyond just doing their own job and help other people be successful at their job, it not only gives them a greater sense of job satisfaction, but it builds a lot larger team camaraderie. Generosity also expands years of life. People who are more generous have a lower mortality rate than people who are less generous. Generosity also perpetuates good. When I'm generous to somebody else, usually that motivates that person to be generous to someone else. My wife was just sharing with me this week that she went to McDonald's through the drive-thru, went up to the window to pay for her meal, and the lady told her, it's okay, the car in front of you just paid for your meal. And my wife said, wow, that's awesome, that's so kind. She said, yeah, you're the sixth car in a row that the car ahead of you bought the meal behind them. And Udella said, well, it ain't stopping with me, I'm going to buy the one behind me as well. And we know of seven cars in a row that paid for the meal behind them. Generosity perpetuates greater generosity. Also, the benefits of generosity strengthens marriages, husbands and wives. Listen to this. This study showed that the smallest act of generosity between a husband and wife, getting your spouse a cup of coffee, rubbing his or her feet, just carrying your responsibility in the household chores makes a happier, healthier marriage. And then another one says that generosity promotes mental health. It just gives a greater sense of well-being in a person's life. It decreases depression within people, and it gives people just a greater sense of life satisfaction. There are many other benefits that these studies indicated, but when we look at the results of these studies, they're really not telling us anything new. It's not like they came up with these brand new discoveries about the generous life. What these studies basically do is affirm what God has told us in his word about the blessings of a generous life. Let's just look at what God tells us about generosity. In Psalm 37, verses 25 through 26, the psalmist says this, 
I was young and now I am old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Seems to link having our needs met with a generous life. Psalms 41 verses 1 through 3. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemies. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to health. It connects uh, divine protection to a generous life. Proverbs 22.9, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus Christ is talking about his return, his coming back the second time. And he says, the Son of Man is going to stand on the earth, and all the nations are going to gather before him. And like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, the Lord is going to separate uh, the, the nations. The ones on his right will be the sheep, the one on his left will be the goats. And he seems to connect eternal reward with a generous life. Look what he says in verse 30. Four, he says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Why do they take their inheritance? Look what he says, for I was hungry and he gave me something to eat, generosity. I was thirsty and he gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Eternal reward with a generous life. And then lastly, Jesus just gives this general blessing about the general life. In Luke 6, 38, he says, give and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The bottom line is this, a generous life is a blessed life. Can you say that with me, please? A generous life is a blessed life. One more time, a generous life is a blessed life. And maybe even a better way to say it is that a generous life is a God life. Because I don't know if there's any other characteristic or quality that reflects the character and the nature of God like generosity. God is a generous God. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave everything of himself in the person of Jesus Christ so that you and I could have everything of him, including heaven. It doesn't get any more generous than that. And I believe that's why generosity, like we see in the Alex Scott story, so touches us because it gets a hold of the God need within us. This need to see this kind of generosity, not just in our lives, but expressed through our lives. The writers of the book, Contagious Generosity, Chris Willard and Jim Shepard, they define generosity like this. Generosity is love in action towards others, reflecting God's love in action toward us. And really the whole motivation and the whole essence of what generosity about flows from God. We see it in Him. And so this morning, we're going to begin here at the Canton campus. We started this uh, series last week at the Marietta campus. We're starting a series entitled Contagious Generosity, when we're going to really look at what this means. This morning, I want to talk to you about the generous life. If you happen to have a Bible or you have a uh, Bible app and you want to turn to Mark chapter 6, 
Mark chapter 6. Mark is the second book of the New Testament. We're going to look at a story that's familiar to a lot of people. And we're going to see this generous life kind of unfold before us. We're going to borrow one verse from Matthew. Because Matthew tells the same story that Mark is telling here in Mark 6. But Matthew records a detail that Mark didn't record. So we're going to borrow from him in just a moment. If you don't happen to have a Bible, all of the verses that we're going to look at will be on the screen. Now when we're talking about a generous life, we're not talking about just a few random acts of generosity. Because the most stingy, hoarding, selfish people can have a random act of generosity from time to time. And God is not a hoarding, selfish, uh, 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 stingy God. He is an eternal, generous God. He gives and he gives and he gives again. So what are we talking about when we talk about this generous life? Five aspects I want to look at very quickly about this generous life. And the first aspect I would share with you is this. The generous life flows from our attitude of receiving. It flows from our attitude of receiving. Now, in this story of Mark chapter 6, Jesus Christ is gathering his 12 disciples together, and he's empowering them, he's commissioning them, he's gifting them, and he's blessing them with talents and abilities to go and carry out the kingdom ministry and work in the surrounding areas. And he gathers them, and this is how the story unfolds. Mark 6 verse 7. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Now here's where we borrow from Matthew because the Lord speaks to them and tells them this. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Now read that last line with me please. Freely you have received, freely give. I mean these men did not deserve or earn any of the blessings or the gifts or the talents or the abilities that the Lord is bestowing upon them. They didn't even earn the right to represent the kingdom or the king. They didn't even deserve the right to even have a relationship with the king. Out of the grace and the mercy and the free generosity of the Lord, he gave them this position, this place of relationship and authority in him. And he's saying in the same way that I have freely given unto you, you turn around and freely give to others. We live in a culture of entitlement. Everybody thinks they deserve whatever it is they get. I'm entitled to it just for showing up. People think we ought to get what we deserve. And, 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 and when we have that sense of mentality in our lives that I'm entitled to this, then what begins to happen is that I look at other people and say, well, if they get entitled like I am, or if they earn it or deserve it like I have, I might just share with them. But i got to recognize, I didn't earn or deserve anything that God has given unto me. I haven't earned heaven. I haven't earned a relationship with him. I haven't earned any kind of open blessing that he bestows upon me. Man, that's out of the freedom of his generosity. And in the same way, I receive from him out of gratitude. See, if I receive in gratitude because I know I don't deserve this, then man, that really opens up my heart to a greater mode of generosity within my life. See, i got to see nothing God has done for me I have earned and deserved. All of it has come by his grace and generosity. Can anybody say amen to that in this room right now? And see, when we get that, 
man, then it really opens up our heart. Paul, Paul really captures this in 2 Corinthians verses eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 9. He really captures this. He says, for you know the grace, say grace, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was rich, he had all the riches of heaven, yet for your sake he became poor. He left all those riches, came into this impoverished world of sin that you and I were in, and he did it for this purpose, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He left the riches of heaven, came into this impoverished world of sin so that you and I could get out of this impoverished world of sin and have the riches of heaven, and it was all by his grace. And I receive that in thanksgiving, not entitlement. See, generosity really flows out of the attitude of how I receive from God. The second aspect I would share with you about the generous life is this. The generous life flows from living by a higher purpose. It flows from living by a higher purpose. These 12 men that the Lord has commissioned and empowered and given these amazing gifts and abilities to, these aren't seminary graduates. These aren't credentialed ministers from some denomination. Actually, all these guys flunked out of rabbinical school. In the Hebrew culture... The greatest thing for a Hebrew boy to to have happened to him is for a rabbi to consider him worthy enough to follow him as one of his students. Any of the Hebrew men that you see in Scripture that are out doing common labor jobs, they were flunked out of rabbinical school. The people he is talking to, Jesus is talking to, these are farmers and fishermen and tax collectors. These are common folk. And he's saying, look, within... Your sphere of influence, where you go and work, where you live every single day, here's your higher purpose of life. That is to represent and demonstrate the amazing generosity of my kingdom. Whatever your title, whatever it is, here's the higher title. Here's the higher call as a follower of Christ. For us in this room, Your title may be lawyer, it may be doctor, it may be educator, it may be house homemaker, it may be a student. That's the titles of this earth. But for a follower of Christ, the Lord is saying, wherever you carry out those titles, your higher calling is to represent and demonstrate the amazing generosity of the kingdom of God. You know what he sent them out to be? Agents of the kingdom's healing. Agents of the kingdom's truth. Agents of the kingdom's love. Agents of the kingdom's deliverance. Agents of the kingdom's hope. Agents of the kingdom's peace. If you're a follower of Christ in this room, our higher calling is wherever we do our lives every single day is to be an agent of the amazing generosity of the kingdom of God. I can't preach any better than that, by the way. And so many of us are so bound by nine-to-five mentality. Maybe you're not a follower of Christ in this room. And maybe you're at a place in your life and you've been wondering, is this all there is? Just trying to get through the day? Just trying to find some peace and some satisfaction through temporal means? Is this all there is? I want to say to you, no, it's not all there is. That's not what you were made for. You were made for an amazing relationship with the maker of your life, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And when we walk with him, he takes us into a calling and a purpose that is far beyond anything we can imagine. And man, when we really get a hold of what we have a higher calling in Christ, generosity begins to just start overflowing. Kirk Nowry, in his book, Revolutionary Generosity, he says this, when we give generously, we express the character of God and what others see in us is a reflection of eternity's values and heaven's treasure. Generosity flows from our attitude of receiving. It flows from living by a higher purpose, a higher call. And the third aspect I would share with you is this, that the generous life embraces new opportunities of generosity. It embraces new opportunities of generosity. These guys go out, and man, they're healing the sick, and they're casting out demons. I mean, they are kicking tail and taking names. I mean, it is amazing what's happening. They come back, and Mark begins to tell us they are pumped, they are jazzed, and they're telling this to the Lord, and the Lord gets excited with them, and the Lord realizes these guys haven't eaten, they haven't slept much, they're tired, and so he plans a little getaway. He says, let's go to a remote place. You guys can recoup. You guys can retreat. And so they try to go to this remote place on the Sea of Galilee just to have some downtime, and look what happens in verse 33. It says, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. They're trying to get away. And all of a sudden, the people find out. The people come interrupt them. The people are wanting more. The people are demanding. They're tired and weary. Jesus is tired and weary. But the Lord sees, here's another opportunity of generosity. So what does he do? He begins to teach them. He begins to give to them. Now look what happens next in verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now get this picture before I read this last verse. Get this picture. These guys have been out and they have been giving. They have been generous. They've been doing what the Lord said. They've been healing the sick. They've been casting out demons. They've been preaching the gospel. They've been raising the dead. They've been doing all those things under the power of God that the Lord asked. They have been generous. They come back. They're tired. They have an opportunity for a getaway. They get away, but the people are all there. The people are interrupting. The people are demanding. The disciples seem to take that in stride. They're being generous. They're helping the Lord manage the people. And then they show even more generosity in that they're concerned that the people don't have anything to eat. It's getting dark. They need to start getting back to their villages because they're in a remote place. If it gets too dark, they can't travel. It's dangerous. So, Lord, you need to send them away. Look at all this generosity that the disciples are displaying. And when they say to the Lord, you need to send them away, what does the Lord say? You give them something to eat. Really? Haven't I given enough? I mean, these guys have been generous. Not to mention, they were on a retreat. Unfortunately, they still had their cell phones on. People show up interrupting, demanding, I need, I want. And let me tell you something. When people find out you're a generous person, they're going to want to take advantage of you. They're going to use you. Relatives you never knew you had will show up. You know what the Lord says? Be generous anyway. See, opportunities of generosity just don't come at opportune moments. They don't just come when it's convenient. 
They don't just come when it's comfortable within my life. They don't just come when I have them planned out. Those men never expected the Lord to say to them, you meet the need. And when generosity begins to move in our lives, the Lord may call upon us at inopportune times or times we never thought of, I want you to meet this need. And even when people want to take advantage of us, yes, we want to set boundaries, we want to be wise, we want to be discerning in how the Lord will want to use us in this capacity, but we don't want to let what people do or don't do rob us of the generous life the Lord wants to pour within us. My wife and I, when we first got married, she was working for a computer software company, I was working for a computer software company, didn't have any children. We were pulling down some good money for a young couple with no kids. We were, we were not hurting at all. She got pregnant with Justin, and we felt like the Lord wanted us when she gave birth for her to be a stay-at-home mom and work off of one income. So that's what we started planning for. And then in the midst of all that, I felt called into full-time ministry, so I left the business world and went into full-time ministry and had that single income cut. I'm thinking, Lord, I, don't, I, I always believed you're a genius, but I'm not seeing the genius in all of this right now. And I was in a master's degree program at the time. And I'm in my cohort, small group, and most of us were Christians. And there was a, 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 a lady that was a part of this group, and she said, I need you all to pray. She said, tuition is due in a couple of days for the next semester. I'm $500 short. I don't know where that money's going to come from. I can't borrow any money. And, and I don't know where it's going to come Will you pray or I may not be able to be in the next semester? So we're joining hands, and we're praying, and I'm praying, and, and all of a sudden, I felt like the Lord spoke in my heart, give her $250. And I'm saying, Lord, that can't be you speaking to me. I'm thinking, I must have overheard you say something to the person next to me about giving $250. It, it can't be me you're talking to. But I couldn't shake it. So I went to my wife. We didn't have $250 to, to spare like that. We didn't. In fact, we were, there were times we didn't know we were going to pay some of our bills. We didn't know when we were gonna, how we were going to get food in the house. But I want to tell you something. The Lord never failed us. I'm, I'm being gut level. I'm, he never failed us. And I went and I prayed with my wife. I said, I believe the Lord is saying this. And we prayed. And we both agreed. And we gave her $250 that we really didn't have. But opportunities for generosity... Don't come always when it's convenient and in an opportune time. The Lord is saying, be generous anyway. Mother Teresa, if there's anybody who knew generosity, if there's anybody that understood the challenges of generosity, if there's anybody that understood being taken advantage of at times, it was her. She wrote something and called, do it anyway. And here's what she writes. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, others may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. 
You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Generous life embraces new opportunities of generosity. Now, hold on to your seats because I'm about to open up to you an opportunity here. Here's a fourth aspect I would share about the generous life. The generous life is most reflected in how we use our money. The generous life is most reflected in how we use our money. This next part of the story is such a human reaction. These disciples, don't you love the disciples of Christ? Because, man, they just reflect everything we are now today in response to the Lord. Because look what happens in verse 37 when he says, he said, but he answered, you give them something to eat. Look what it says. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Do you realize the only time in this entire story that the disciples resist Jesus is when he starts telling them something that touches their money? He said, look, I want to give you the power to go to storm the gates of hell and and cast out demons. Okay, Lord, we're ready. Let's go cast out the demons. I'm going to give you power to raise the dead. Let's go raise the dead. I'm going to give you the power to heal the sick. Let's go heal the sick, Lord. And, man, they stormed the gates of hell, and it's awesome, and it's great. And they didn't blink an eye. Then they get interrupted by all these people, and that's okay. And they want these people to go get something to eat. And then the Lord says, you feed them, and everything's great until they realize it's going to touch their money, and they go, Back that card up just a second, Lord. And isn't it interesting? They could trust him to cast out demons, but not trust him with their money. And that's the reaction we all have. I mean, money is important to us. It's precious to us. It is. And the Lord knows that. It's, it's a kind of a lifeblood to us. But really, how we use our money really reflects the place of generosity that we're at within our lives. You see, money is a heart issue. It's interesting. The Lord in the Gospels, 15% of what he said in the Gospels deals with material and possessions and money. He spoke more about money and possessions than he did heaven or hell. Why? Because he knew that money had the possibility of possessing us instead of us possessing it. It would capture our hearts. In fact, Jesus Christ said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He said this. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's an idea of, okay, do I treasure the Lord? If the Lord is my greatest treasure, then that's where my heart is going to be, and that's where my money is going to be. In other words, I can trust the Lord with anything. See, money is the highest representation in my, and when I view money, it's the highest representation of the greatest use of our time and the greatest use of our talent. Because where do we spend most of our time? At work. Where do we spend most of our time with using our talent? At work. Money is the reward of that. So money is the highest representation of the greatest use of our time and the greatest use of our talent. And that's one of the reasons it's so precious to us. 
That's why it's so, one of the reasons it's so valuable to us, because we've given a lot of time and a lot of talent to this. And when we're able to use it in the way the Lord wants us to, you know what we're saying? Lord, you have my everything. You've got my highest amount of time, and you've got my highest amount of talent. You know, when the teaching team was planning this series, Contagious Generosity, the teaching team is Jeremy Isaacs, the campus pastor here, my son, Justin Walker, uh, Dr. Josh Rice, who speaks down at Marietta when I'm here, and myself. The four of us make up the teaching team, and we're the ones that look and pray and put these series together. And as we were putting this series together, the Lord really began to convict us about our own generous life. And really begin to start talking to us about how we use our money. We felt very challenged in this regard as we were talking about this. So much so, we felt like the Lord was wanting us to lead the whole congregation, both Marietta and Canton Campus, into a very special giving challenge. When you came in, in a part of the material you received, you should see a card that says like this, 90-day giving challenge. I'm going to invite you to take that, if you would, please, and look at it very quickly. The 90-day giving challenge, and what we basically felt like the Lord was saying to us is in our own lives and to challenge to lead the people that wherever we are in our giving life to consider, prayerfully consider throughout the month of August and then beginning September 1, where the 90-day giving challenge begins, just to wherever we are in our giving life, take the next step forward on what we're calling the giving ladder. What's the next rung from where you are in your giving life, for instance? Maybe you're a follower of Christ, but you've never really given. You've never really used your money in that way. Maybe your first step then is just to give one time. Sometime between in the 90-day giving challenge to give one time as the Lord would leave you. Maybe you're somebody that has given, but you don't give consistently. So maybe your first step or next step is to, to give consistently in the 90 days. Maybe just find 2 3 4% of your income and say, I'm going to give that consistently in the 90 days. Or maybe you're somebody that gives consistently, but maybe you don't give consistently of what we call the tithe, the 10%, which is kind of God's standard for giving. Maybe your step then is to step to there. And over this 90-day period as the Lord leaves, give consistently at 10%. Or maybe you're somebody that gives consistently at 10%, but the Lord has blessed you, and maybe your next step is what we might call extravagant giving, where maybe Maybe over this 90-day period, you want to give 11, 12, 13%, whatever the Lord would put into your heart. That all of us together look and say, okay, Lord, you're you're testing my heart. You want to see my heart. I want to show you that I trust you with everything that I have. Pray about this through August and then make the step that you feel the Lord is calling you to take. There's a, you can look at that card. It gives you all the information. There's a web page that it directs you to that you can go sign up on or you can sign up with a card that's a tear-off there. We're not asking you to tell us what you're planning to give or where you are on the rung. We just want to know everybody that feels the Lord moving this direction so that together in this 90-day period we can see what the Lord is going to do. Now, you may be sitting there going, you know, Pastor, I hear you. And, and I, I am going to pray about this, but I just got to be honest. I don't even know where to start. And, and I'm not even sure how to get my finances arranged to even do something like this. This is so kind of new to me. Then, then we're going to be offering what we call Financial Peace University. It's a course on how to uh, um, uh, use your money. God's way, what the scriptures talk about our finances. That's going to be offered in September. There'll be a table in the lobby area as you leave that you can go and talk to people about that. This is not about Mount Perrin North getting your money. It's about God getting more of our heart. 
We've been here two and a half years at this campus. When we first started, I preached every other week. After about six or seven months, I went to coming once a month. I pretty much know what Jeremy preaches, not the details of his sermon, but what the topics are because we preach parallel series at both locations. I've talked about money one time in two and a half years. This is the second time I've talked about it. I don't know how often Pastor Jeremy's talked about it, but probably not much more than that. This is not a church that talks about money very much. And we may be in error about that, to be honest with you. Because, you know, I understand the stigma that comes with talking about money in church. Just When you leave, don't tell anybody we talked about it, okay? Don't tell anybody we did. I get that. I know there's been charlatans. I know there's people that, ta- I know there's churches that have taken advantage of me. I get that. But that's not been us. And this isn't about that. It's not about getting money. It's about, Lord, we want to show you. See, the kids are all excited about it. You hear them? They're all excited back there about it. They can't wait, man. It's about him. It's about us saying, hey, Lord, you got our hearts. You got our hearts. Pray about this. The last thing I would share with you about the generous life, because this is kind of where it all goes here. The generous life positions us for greater demonstrations of God's generosity. Positions us for greater demonstrations of God's generosity. Look at verse 38. How many loaves do you have, he asked. This is after them saying, hey, are we supposed to spend all this money and all this food? Verse 38. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Scholars say if you add the children and the women, it could have been close to eight to 10,000 people that the Lord fed with five loaves and two fish. An amazing demonstration of the generosity of the Lord. I have a theory. And this is a theory, so we can't be dogmatic about this. My theory is this. I think if the disciples had actually gone out to buy the food for the people, the Lord would have multiplied their money. That's my theory. You can take it or leave it. But they didn't do that. So the Lord says, what do you have? I guess he worked at varsity sometime. I don't know. What do you have? And you know what? That's all he's saying to us today. What do you have? Put it in my hands. All we got is five loaves and two fish. Okay, that's all I need. Let me show you what I can do. See, when we we start opening ourselves to the generous life, man, it positions us to see even greater generosity of the Lord. If that's even possible, can God be more generous than he's already been to you and I? You know what? I want to find out. I want to find out how generous God is can be and he's simply saying what do you have just put it in my hands you can trust me let me show you how generous I can be in your life and he multiplies it to meet need at $250 that my wife and I felt like the Lord wanted us to give to this girl that was a part of my group The Lord wanted us to do it anonymously, we felt. And I'm arguing with the Lord. I'm going, 
God, she needs 500. What the heck is 250 going to do? Can't you add? Don't look at me like that. You talk to the Lord like that yourselves. So, got $250 cash that we didn't have. I found another girl that was in our group that I knew was a friend of this girl, and I said, give this to her. Do not tell her who it's from, please. Keep it anonymous. Gave her the $250. A couple of days later, my messenger came back with a note from this girl. I don't remember what the note said verbatim, but I do know what it said verbatim in the greeting. It said, dear servant of God, listen, there's no higher calling or title you can be called or have than servant of God. That's why it's so registered in my spirit. And this is in essence what she said, thank you for your $250 gift. She said, just a day or two ago, my grandmother came into some money and gave me $250. I didn't know where the other $250 was going to come from. And I received your $250 today. I can now pay my tuition. Thank you for your obedience. When that $250 left my hand, it wasn't enough. But by the time it got to this lady, the Lord had multiplied it to meet the need. What do you have? Let's test and see how generous God can be. I'm going to invite the band to come up right now if they would, please. I just, I just want to say a prayer over us today. You know, you may be sitting here right now. A couple, a couple of weeks ago at the Merida campus, maybe it's been three weeks now, I really, I really felt led to kind of shift gears in the way what I was supposed to preach on in, in terms of what we had in the bulletin or whatever. And I really felt like the Lord wanted me to talk about healing. And I, and I preached about healing. We anointed people with oil. And man, we have received several testimonies. People being healed. People who had problems with wrists that are being healed. No more pain. People with difficulties with feet, whatever. We've just been getting, we've been getting just different testimonies coming in. Are you, are you thankful for the healing power of God? As I was, I, I preached this very same sermon last Sunday at Marietta. Some of the Canton folks were there. I guess you guys, I saw some of them here. I guess you guys needed to hear it again. I don't know, but they were there. And I felt led then and I feel led now. You're, you're, you're here and you may be saying, you know, Pastor, I hear you. And I'm going to be praying about just the generous life in general but also about this 90-day giving challenge. I, I want a greater generous life, Pastor. I, I want my life to reflect the amazing generosity of God. But you know what? You may need a multiplication of the generous healing of God in your family or in your life. Maybe you're dealing with sickness in your home. Maybe you're dealing with sickness in your own body. Maybe, maybe you're dealing with some tough 
relationships within your home. And you're just needing a release of the generosity of the healing and the reconciliation and the restoration of God into your family. Maybe you're dealing with grief somehow. Maybe you have the loss of a loved one or you're walking through a tough place. I know in my own family, we've got sickness within our home and we're seeing uh, 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 some people we love dearly that are just beginning to deteriorate before us. We know the grief and the pain of that. And maybe what you're needing in your home is is a multiplication of the generosity of just the meaning of the needs within your life. I want to pray for that today. Because I want to tell you something. You and I can never outgive God. And it doesn't matter what we have given or haven't given and how much money we have or don't have. God is a generous God and He wants to meet need. And if you're in here and you say, Pastor Mark, I need healing in my family. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's relational healing. Maybe you're walking through a place of grief. You need some type of restoration and comfort in your life. I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you just to stand right where you are. Just stand up and say, Pastor, I need prayer. I need prayer. I need, I need healing. We need, we need restoration. I invite you all to stand, if you would, please, right now. Just where you are. Just where you are. You stand. You stand. You stand. God bless you. If there's somebody standing around you right now, I want you to simply move to them. You're a follower of Christ. You believe God is a God of healing. God is a God that meets need. I want you to move to somebody standing and just maybe take their hand, put a hand on their shoulder, and we're going to believe one for the other right now. Father, we don't necessarily know the need of those that stood. We don't necessarily know exactly what it is they're looking to you for. Father, we don't have to know. All we have to know is this. You're a God of amazing generosity, and you want to meet need right where we are. Father, we pray for them right now. I pray for healing in Jesus' name. I pray for bodily healing, emotional healing, God. I pray for relationship healing, Lord, wherever the hurt or the pain that they're walking through, God. I pray in the name of Jesus, you will pour forth that healing within them. They will experience the amazing generosity of your incredible healing and restoration. I pray for comfort, God. I pray for the mending of hearts, hearts that have been broken, hearts that are heavy because of things they're seeing within their own family, same things they're seeing in loved ones. God, I pray for those walking in grief right now, Lord. I pray for an uplifting of their spirit like never before as only you can provide, God. Father, I pray for those in financial need. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, you would just minister to them. May they know they can trust you no matter what. And to all of us, God, thank you for your incredible generosity. May it begin to pour forth in and through our lives like never before. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. You are a great God who does great things. In Jesus' name, and amen. Can you give him praise in his house?